Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Hey, I do want to take a moment and just uh, thank you for being here. If you're joining us online, we're so very grateful that you are. And uh, I do want to take a moment and invite you back next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're kicking off a series that I'm excited about. We're calling it Reasonable Doubt. And, and we're talking about the fact that all of us in our faith journey, whether we're exploring the claims of Christ or whether we're new to following Jesus or whether we've been following Jesus for some time, all of us have moments where we wrestle with doubt. And next week, I'm gonna bring a message about how Jesus meets us in our doubts. And, but today, is, we are here to uh, talk about Easter and celebrate Easter. I wanna share with you a few Easter stats as we get started. 81% of Americans plan to celebrate Easter somehow this year. 43% plan to do it by attending church. You guys are a part of the 43%. Give yourself, give yourself. You guys are probably also a part of this stat. Americans will spend $24 billion celebrating Easter. And my wife's been a part of that, all the Easter candy, etc. An average of 5.5 million peeps have to be made every day <laughs> to supply the 1.5 billion peeps consumed at Easter. 500 million Cadbury eggs will be consumed. 16 billion jelly beans will be consumed this Easter season. Enough to go around the earth three times with jelly beans. 91 million chocolate bunnies are sold in the United States each year. And 78% of Americans confess that they eat the bunny ears first. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're part of the 78%. You, all right. But what is all the fuss about? Why all the fuss about Easter? The last few weeks we've been kind of digging into this, talking about why did Jesus die? We talked initially how, how Jesus died to show us what real love is. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends, and then he did it. Paul writes in Romans that God demonstrated, God proved once and for all his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, while we were living for ourselves, Christ died for us. And so Jesus died to show us what real love is, then we talked about how Jesus died to set us free from the things that enslave us. Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus died to set us free from the things that enslave us. Last week we talked about how Jesus died to take our place. The Bible says that he who knew no sin actually became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This idea that on the cross, Jesus traded places with us and he took our place, dying the death we deserve to die so that we might experience his life. And those three things are massive. Any one of those in and of themselves would be enough to be the momentous, the most momentous occasion in all of human history. But I, I think the thing we're gonna talk about today, it, it may be the culmination of those three things together are all tied together in this bigger purpose. Why did Jesus die and rise again? I wanna to propose to you today that Jesus died and rose again to take us back to Eden. I wanna to talk to you today about this idea of, of Jesus coming to inaugurate this new creation. Really, the story of Easter is the story of a new creation. I'm gonna, uh, just the next few minutes, I'm just gonna challenge you just to think deeply 
with me for a few moments. But the story of Easter is the story of, of a new creation. And when you look at the story of Jesus, next time you're reading the Gospels, and you're reading the story of Jesus, I want you to begin to look at it through the lens of, of, of Jesus and this new creation motif that we see. So you see the book of Mark, which was the first gospel written. Mark chapter one, verse one, says the beginning of the good news. Now the people that Mark was writing to would be very familiar with the Old Testament. And Mark begins his gospel in a way that is intentionally designed to make us think about Genesis 1-1 where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what we see here is Mark begins by saying, the beginning of the good news. And so everyone who had knowledge of the Old Testament, when they read that, that phrase, that, this talking about the beginning at this beginning of this gospel, they would have gone back to Genesis 1 and, and in this creation moment, they would have thought about, about God creating everything at the beginning. And then when Mark says, the beginning of the good news, as long as their mind is already thinking about creation, these people who were very familiar with this uh, Old Testament creation narrative would have been, their minds would have gone to the fact that eight times in the creation narrative, God would create a thing and then say, and it was good. And so right at the very beginning of Mark, we're, we're, we're taken back to creation and then this continues with Jesus's baptism. Jesus gets baptized and he's baptized in water. And then he, he and it says, and then it says that the Holy Spirit descended like a dove as Jesus was being baptized. Now these folks that Mark was writing to, they no longer spoke or read Hebrew primarily. Aramaic was the language of the day. So when they would read the scriptures, they would read it in this Aramaic translation. And let me read to you one of the primary Aramaic translations of the beginning of Genesis. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was uninhabitable and like a wasteland, and the Spirit of God flapped his wings like a dove. The Spirit of God flapped his wings over the waters like a dove. So in Jesus' baptism, we have this moment where there's water, Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove. These readers, their minds would have gone to this translation talking about this creation moment and the Spirit of God hovering over the waters like a dove. And so then the next thing we see in Mark's gospel is now Jesus goes into his temptation. And so now there's this direct comparison towards our first parents in the garden facing temptation, giving in to temptation, and because of that, everything wrong in the world became what it is. And But then we see this contrasted with Jesus. Now he goes into temptation, and then, but he doesn't give in to temptation, he conquers it. And so we see this kind of new creation motif, and we other places in the Bible, we see Jesus compared to Adam. We'll see some of that a little bit later. But now let's fast forward to Easter Sunday and continue to see this garden motif. We see John chapter 20, verse 11, says this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and, and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. 
At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, my experience is when a lady is crying, they love it if everyone's asking them why they're crying. <laughs> She's crying, now two people have asked, why are you crying? My experience with my wife and three daughters is that it has never turned out good for me. <laughs> woman, why are you crying? Why is it that you, well, who is it that you are looking for? And then we see this little phrase, thinking he was the gardener. We see this garden imagery continuing. She said, sir, if you have carried him away and tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. We see this Garden of Eden imagery is everywhere, which makes sense because the first promise of Easter actually came in the Garden of Eden. Right after our first parents have sinned, we see Genesis chapter three, verse 14, Talking, the Lord talking to the devil, the form of the serpent, serpent. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or hatred or make enemies between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Other translations that are more literal say between your seed and her seed. This is language that we find nowhere else, this idea of, of a woman's seed. Normally men are talked about that way, women never are. This is this allusion to the virgin birth. It's talking about Jesus coming one day. And then talking about Jesus one day, he will crush your head. He will defeat you, the devil, and you will strike his heel. It's this imagery talking about the cross where Jesus would take a significant blow but ultimately rise in victory for the purpose of ultimately defeating the devil. And so the story of Easter is the story of new creation, this idea that Jesus, the new Adam, who did not sin when tempted, achieved victory in a new garden. Let me read you this quote by a theologian named N.T. Wright. It says, when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning, he rose as the beginning of the new world that Israel's God had always intended to make. That is the first and most important thing to know about the meaning of Easter. See, the Gospels are saying that in Jesus, recreation is at hand and the resurrection is inaugurating the return to Eden for the whole world. See, the story of Easter is the story of new creation. The story of Easter means that one day, things will be as originally intended. One day, things will be the way they were supposed to be before sin ever entered into the world. And maybe you're here, and you're not sure what you think about Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're not sure you believe in God. Maybe you're here as a favor to a friend or family member. Maybe you're here in exchange for brunch. It's just fine. But maybe you're just not sure what you think about all this. But, but I, I would say this to you. I think there's something inside all of us, from agnostic to atheist to, to believer, I think there's something inside of all of us that recognizes the world is not as it is supposed to be. You, you, something inside all of us when we watch the news and we see another war somewhere and we see famine somewhere and we see crime somewhere and, and then we experience in our own lives people that are supposed to, to love you forever end up really, really hurting you, that, the, that the, we have this awareness that the way it is isn't the way it should be. It's, there's something broken, there's something wrong and I think we even see that in ourselves 
We know we aren't quite right. Maybe you find yourself hurting people that you love. You wish you wouldn't, you wish you couldn't, but sometimes you do. You say things you wish you didn't say. Maybe you struggle with anger or maybe you struggle with an addiction, but there's, I think all of us look at the world and look at ourselves and have this awareness that I don't think it's supposed to be this way. Now, what I would propose to you is that the reason we have that instinct is because the way it is isn't the way it was intended to be. But the story of Easter is that one day it's all going to be the way it was intended to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul's given us this snapshot summary of, of, of what Jesus came to do. He's gonna talk about the essence of, of Easter weekend, and then he spends a long time going on this rant about the resurrection of Jesus and how it affects everything. So 1 Corinthians 15, three, Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He says it was prophesied and promised, Old Testament came to pass, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now he goes on this long rant about the importance of Jesus' resurrection. We see it in verse 20. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. This next phrase, very important. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Euphemism for death. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, all die. So again, we see this theme of Jesus, the new Adam, Jesus, the new creation. For as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, we see this phrase again, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So there's gonna be a time where, where Jesus will fully destroy everything evil and wrong in the world. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. See this first fruits thing that, that let me ask you, are any farmers here today? Anybody a farmer, anyone grow stuff? Anybody gardener, anyone grow stuff in your backyard that either you're willing to share with or not willing to share? <laughs> this, I'm not a farmer, but this first fruits thing, it's an Old Testament theme, and, and the term sometimes is talked about this, uh, the earliest part of a crop that was offered in thanksgiving to God. Uh, but it signified more than that, it was this kind of this, the first fruits was this pledge of the remainder, a promise an assurance that this first part of the crop has been harvested, it's this sense of assurance that the rest of it is going to come. And, and, and so, I don't know about you, I have found this winter to be long and terrible. <laughs> and began to wonder, is it ever going to end? And then 48 hours ago, something happened. I walked out into my front yard, and we had this tree in the front, and I noticed it's starting to bud. Now, my grass is still brown as can be. The rest of my trees look like it's January. But there's this, this one tree that's blooming first, and I was like, oh, spring is actually going to come. It's this first fruit, it's this promise, this first piece that comes, that's the promise of the remainder fully 
coming. And so this idea, this, this resurrection of Jesus points to our future resurrection. It guarantees it. And it's this, in his resurrection, the future becomes the present. And the, the Bishop of Durham said it this way. He said this about Jesus as the first fruits. The power by which God will finally destroy all suffering, evil, deformity, and death at the end of time has broken into history now and is available partially and substantially now. When we unite with the risen Christ by faith, that future power that is potent enough to remake the universe comes into us. See, Jesus' resurrection is this first fruits of this perfect renewal of creation that's talked about in the Old and the New Testament, this idea that one day things will be as they were originally intended to be before sin came into the world. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse six, we see this kind of poetic language talking about this time where everything will be right. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. It's all this kind of figurative language from nature talking about a time where everything will be at peace, everything will be the way it's supposed to be. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. Talking about this imagery, like imagine a world so perfect, you see your little baby surrounded by cobras and you're like, oh, isn't that so cute? Like there's just no fear. Everything's right. It's like everyone's getting along. And uh, it says they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. No, no one's harming anybody. No one's destroying anything. And then this powerful little phrase at the end, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This moment where everything will be as it was intended to be. This is what Jesus is telling us to pray for. Well, he, prays, he says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so because of Easter, one day we'll, things will all be as they were originally intended, where Satan is completely powerless. Hebrews 2.14 says this, since the children have flesh and blood, he, being Jesus, too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. First John 3, 8 says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. See, I believe in the, in the garden, Satan had no great power. Sure, he was a deceiver, but I believe his real power came when our first parents believed the lie. He has an end game. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's ultimate goal is to, is to separate us from God forever. That is his ultimate goal. But on Easter, Jesus took away the devil's ultimate power. And one day when Jesus comes back, the devil will be rendered completely powerless forever. Because of Easter, one day it will be the way it was always supposed to be. It'll be a time where there is no sin, selfishness, hurt, or injustice. Romans 6.10 says, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. See, in, in the garden, there was never supposed to be sin. 
There was never supposed to be people hurting one another. Some of you have experienced incredible pain. It was never supposed to be that way. There was never supposed to be child abuse. There was never supposed to be slavery. And, and because of Easter, one day there will be none of those things. One day it will all be the way it was always supposed to be. It'll be a time where there is no sickness and death to be feared. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, still talking about the impact of the resurrection, says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Hebrews 2, we read the verse 14 a minute ago uh, about him who breaks the power, that holds the power of death, that is the devil, that Jesus defeating him, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. I think a great many people go through life held in slavery by the fear of death. How many of you guys fear, are, are, are afraid of spiders? Raise your hand, afraid of spiders? I would propose, maybe you're not afraid of spiders, you're afraid of a black widow biting you and then you dying. How many of you are afraid of heights? I would propose, you're really afraid of falling and dying. There's a reason the cosmetic industry and the plastic surgery industry makes billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. Because every time we see a wrinkle and every time we see a gray hair, it's a reminder, you are slowly dying. <laughs> and we're terrified of that. We don't wanna be reminded of that. I, but what happened because of Easter See, see in, in the garden, there was no cancer. And in the garden, there was no heart disease. In the garden, there was no viruses. And it was never supposed, there was never supposed to be death. It was never supposed to, none of those things were ever supposed to be a thing. And one day, because of Easter, one day, none, things will, none of those things will be a thing. And things ultimately will be the way they're supposed to be. There'll be no fear of sickness. There'll be no fear of death. One day there'll be a time where God always feels close, like a perfect father or best friend. I don't know about you. Sometimes for me, God feels close, and sometimes he feels far away. I, I, I don't know too many people that, that don't ever have moments where God feels far away, don't have moments where it feels like their prayers are bouncing off the ceiling back at you. There's, there's times I, and moments where, where I, I feel close to God, moments where he feels farther away, but it wasn't supposed to be that way at the beginning. At the beginning, the Bible tells us that, that, that God would just walk through the garden just like a friend would. And there was, there was no sense of, of, of shame, no sense of separation. We didn't have this instinct to hide from God because we knew that we had done the wrong thing. It was, it was supposed to be where, where God just always felt like a perfect father and a best friend. And one day, it will be that way again. In Revelation chapter 21, we see this beautiful picture of what it's all gonna be like when everything is made right. Revelation 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven, the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. God speaking here. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people like the way it was in the garden, where there was no separation, there was this ultimate closeness. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
And then we see what this looks like, this perfect connection to God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. See, the story of Easter is a story of a new creation. The story of Easter means one day things will all be as they were intended to be. Here's the third thing it means. The story of Easter means I can begin to experience all of these things now. I can begin to experience all of these things now. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I think it's a verse that maybe we've not fully unpacked and understood all that it means. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if anyone has come to that spot in their life where they've, they've based all of their hopes and trust and dreams on the person of Jesus, on the perfect life that he lived that we never could, on him willingly dying the death we deserve to die, dying in our place, and him rising from the dead, conquering our greatest enemies of sin and death and the devil and hell, and, and the, the hope that one day he's going to come back and make all things new, make everything as it was intended. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has trusted in who Jesus is and what he's done and based their life on this, this next phrase is powerful, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That there's this sense that, that as followers of Jesus, that, that, that we begin to have this first fruits experience, this, this meaningful taste of, of what it's gonna be like when everything is made right. See, in Christ, I can experience a growing measure of this new creation experience personally and join in with God on his mission of making all things new. And so here's what that means. As a follower of Jesus, it means now, I, I can have a life now where even though evil forces are still present in this world for a little while longer, they are powerless to accomplish the devil's ultimate goal in my life. See, the devil's ultimate goal is to keep us separated from God forever. But, but, but the good news is this, that because of Easter and because of what Jesus has done, that, that nothing can separate us. Paul says, Romans 8, 38, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor either angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So even though there's evil forces in the world, the devil can never accomplish his ultimate goal in my life, which is to keep me separated from God because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. The second thing is I can now begin to experience a life where even though I will still sometimes sin, and by sometimes, pretty much every day. If we're including thoughts, I probably don't go 10 minutes without sinning. You just see somebody, you think a judgmental thought, like what were they thinking wearing that today? <laughs> you're like, oh, there's Easter colorful, but that's a bit much. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, I, I just went three minutes without sinning, it's just, it's happening. But even though I will still sometimes sin, I'm increasingly being set free from its power in my life to enslave me. And it's no longer able to cause me to live a life ruled by guilt and shame and regret. 
Because of Easter, now I can, in, even in this moment in Christ, experience a life now where even though I will one day taste physical death, it is not to be feared as I know that it is not the end. That, that, that when this body dies, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, and then I'm awaiting this moment of this ultimate resurrection where I will have a brand new body that will never get sick and never old, never get old and never die, and I will have this perfect body in this perfect new creation where everything is as it was always supposed to be. So I don't have to go through life fearing death because I know that it is not the end. I can have a life now where I can experience the presence of God living inside of me. I can experience this love of a perfect father and a best friend, now, not in the way that I will one day, where, where, where everything is as it was supposed to be. That Paul says, it, right now, it's like we're looking in a mirror dimly. We still see him and, and we still see who, who he is and what he's about and we still experience him. Right now, we're looking in a mirror dimly, but one day when we see him, we'll be looking at him face to face. And so, but even now, and the person of his Holy Spirit living inside of me, I can have a life now where I'm experiencing the presence of God living in me. You see, one day, we will experience all of these things completely and fully when Jesus makes all things as they were intended. But in Christ, now, we experience the first fruits of this. We experience this taste of this, which guarantees this future full harvest where we experience it in all of its fullness. So here's my question for you. Are you in Christ? Have you come to that spot in your life where, where you just base your whole reality on the person of who Jesus is? The, the fact that he lived the perfect life that we never could. No matter how hard we, could, we would try, we could never do it, but he did it. And the fact that he willingly took our place, traded places with us, became our substitute, dying in our place, rising from the dead, conquering our greatest enemies and fears. And that one day he's going to come and make all things new. Have you given your life to Christ? Has Easter become personal for you? I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. Why don't we pray together? I wonder for some of you, if you were honest, you've never really made a decision about who Jesus is and what he's done. And some of you, this might be the first time you've ever heard some of this stuff. And there's something inside of you that's telling you that it's the most true thing that you've ever heard in your life. Others of you, maybe you've heard your whole life about who Jesus is and what he's done, but, but it's never really, the lights never come on in your head and your heart, but this morning, there's, there's, you're, the lights turned on and you recognize this is true and this is what life's all about. And I need to give my life to Christ. Some of you, Easter's never become personal. It's just been a story, it's just been a holiday, it's just been a family gathering, but you've never made it personal, you've never made the choice to base your whole life, your trust, your hopes on who Jesus is, what he's done for us. But this morning, there's something inside of you that's telling you that this is what you need. You've chased a great many things. 
that have satisfied for a while but have not brought lasting satisfaction and peace and happiness and there's something inside of you now saying, Jesus is what you've been looking for. And if that's you, if, if you wanna give your life to Christ, if you wanna become a follower of Jesus, if you wanna experience this life of what it is for Christ to be in you, for you to be in Him. In a minute I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud and if that's you, if you wanna give your life to Christ, you could pray something silent, like it silently in your heart. It's really not even about the words we say, it's really just about our heart, just crying out to God, asking Him to save us. But there's something powerful in looking back on a moment where you know that you know that you did business with God, you know that you know that you gave your life to Christ. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud and if that's you, you could pray something like it in your heart silently, something like this. God, I need you. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, taking my place. And I believe he rose from the dead. And I believe one day he's gonna come back and make all things the way they were supposed to be. God, I don't wanna keep living life where I'm in charge, doing my own thing, going my own direction. But I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. So Father, even right now, would you come and live inside of me in the person of your Holy Spirit and take control of me. I wonder with our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed and no one's looking around, it's just you and me. I wonder if some of you prayed that prayer with me and really meant it for the first time, if some of you just gave your life to Christ. I wanna be able to celebrate that with you. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you just to, if you prayed that prayer with me and really meant it for the first time, I'm gonna ask you just to look up at me, let your eyes meet mine and just raise your hand until I see you. Just be you and me, no one's looking around, but if you prayed to give your life to Christ just now and you really meant it, I just wanna invite you, just look up at me, raise your hand and let your eyes meet mine. You can do that right now. I see you there, bud, I see you there, ma'am. On my right side, I'm just looking over here in this section here. If you have anyone else in that section say, you know what, I see you there in the front. Anybody else in that front of that section there? What about in this section? Does I see you guys there. Anybody else in this section just to my immediate right say, so you know what, I just gave my life to Christ. Anybody? Anybody else? I see you there in the back. Anybody else? What about that far back? Anybody back there? What about this section right in front of me? I see a bunch of you guys in the middle. So good. What about on my just immediate left? You say, you know, you just prayed to give my life. I see you there, bud. I see you there, bud. Anybody else in this, my immediate left, say, you know what, I just prayed to give my life to Christ. Anybody else? What about the far back, anybody? What about this far left? I see you there, buddy, I see you there, bud. Anybody else far left? I see you there, ma'am. Anybody else on this far left? Anybody else? I see you there, buddy. See you there, ma'am. Anybody else? So, Father, we thank you for Easter. Thank you for all that it means. You proving your love for us once and for all. You setting us free from our greatest enemies. You taking our place. And God, and we are grateful that 
in you. We can experience this new creation life. Looking forward to that moment where you will make all things new. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Hey, if you uh, made a decision today to follow Jesus, uh, you can go to our website, lifechurchreno.com. At the very bottom of the page, there's a tab that says New Believers. Click that. We have resources there. You can fill out some information. We'd love to just uh, talk to you about, man, what does it look like next? You've made that decision. What do the next steps kind of look like? And how do you live this out? Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.